0: It is great to see all of you here. For some of you, this is your first time back with us in person uh, because uh, you've not been able to come when we've been meeting indoors. And we want you to know just how how glad we are to see your faces here. I know you are glad to be here, and we're certainly grateful to the Lord for a cool breeze here over Labor Day weekend. When we first put this on Labor Day, the first thing we said was, you know it's going to be 100 degrees, right? Well, we underestimated the Lord, so we're uh, grateful that it's uh, that it is nice and cool, at least in the shade. So if you're in the sun and you get hot, there's water right over here, ice water. You come get some. Don't worry about getting up moving. Parents with kids, if they run around, if they've got to eat their lunch a little early, whatever, it, they're fine. I'm just glad that we can all be out here uh, together today. We are going to continue this morning in our series in Genesis. If you've not been with us, though, over the last several weeks, I want to just briefly catch you up uh, because we're picking up really in the middle of a story. We're picking up at a turning point uh, in a uh, one of the most famous stories in Scripture, probably the most well-known story in the book of Genesis. So we are going this morning be in Genesis 8. We're going to look at the whole chapter of Genesis 8 and parents with kids that are already getting restless on the blanket, it's fine. I'm, I'm not going to preach the full amount that I normally would, although there's not a clock in the back, so I can't promise you anything. Um, but up until this point, here's, here's what we've seen. God created a good world. And he stepped back and called it good. And for God to call it good means that it was perfect, meaning from our vantage point, it was completely without sin. But then Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, ushering sin into the world. And what we saw quickly for a couple of chapters was just this spiral into a wicked world that happened over the course of generations to the point that every human being on the face of the planet, their minds were only after evil always, the scripture tells us. But God found favor with one man, His name was Noah, and God told Noah that he was going to destroy his creation, but that he would save Noah and his family, and that he would save uh, animals that he had created, and so God gave Noah instructions to build an ark that Noah by faith constructed, and, and God told Noah when to go into the ark, and by faith Noah entered into the ark, and then God sent a flood on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, a miraculous event we saw last week in our sermon, that God flooded the earth, saving only Noah. And where we left off at the end of chapter 7 last week was that Noah had survived with his family and those animals on the ark for 5 months. The water, the floodwaters covered the face of the earth with no, only Noah and his family and those with him on the ark surviving. Today we pick up really at the midpoint of that uh, of this story. And I just want to begin by reading verse 1 where we read but God remembered Noah. I think that's my favorite verse in all of the Noah account. You see, it's from chapter six through nine really tell us the greater story of what happens with Noah. But of all of those verses of this entire story, I really think this is my favorite line, that when things seemed the darkest, when the floodwaters had covered the earth for five months, the Bible tells us God Remembers Noah. And so while last week we saw the flood of God's judgment, because God thinks of Noah, we are able to see the ark of God's grace together this morning. This story begins with the inhabitants of the ark being saved from the flood, and God dries out the ark. The Lord remembers Noah here and causes the flood to cease. We continue to read there in verse 1, "...God remembered knowing all the beasts of the, and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heaven was restrained, and water receded from the earth continually." At the end of 150 days, another five months, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Here we see that God remembers Noah. Now don't think For a moment that when it says that God remembers Noah, that it's as if God sent a flood on the earth and then walked away and five months later said, oh yeah, there's this guy Noah that I told to build an ark, maybe I should go and see how he is doing. Anytime we see, particularly here in the book of Genesis, that we're told that God remembers someone, and we see this both in the life of Abraham and later with Rachel, the scriptures tell us that God remembers them, and when God remembers someone in Genesis, it is to tell us that he is extending mercy to them at a time when all hope seems lost. This weekend, we've been watching Uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy at our house. Now, I don't often talk about movies, but I'm gonna talk about a movie for just a moment. And most of you have probably seen or maybe read the books uh, that are the three books of, or the three movies, depending on which way you're approaching it, of the Lord of the Rings. And anytime you watch this with someone that's never watched it before, they always ask one question. Why don't the eagles just carry the ring all the way to Mordor? Couldn't this have been like a five-page book, right? Couldn't the, the big eagles, if you've ever seen it, there's these big eagles that every now and then will show up in the story. And so someone will ask, well, why didn't the eagles just carry the, carry the ring all the way and we wouldn't have to have this big journey and three movies and three novels about it? Do well, you know what the eagles represent? Because this story was written by a Christian telling us things about God. In that story, the eagles represent the gra- divine grace of God. That when all seems lost, and any time in those stories when the eagles show up, it's because the characters in the story all seems lost for them. They seem like there is no way possible for them to survive, and then the divine grace of God shows up in the story. That's exactly what happens here in Genesis chapter 8. When we're told that God remembered Noah, it is because God is extending his divine hand of grace and mercy into Noah's life, who was by faith obedient to enter the ark. And the Lord remembers Noah and causes the flood waters to cease. Now, it's not instantaneous. God shuts up the fountains of the deep and closes the windows of the heavens, but it takes a long time. Noah and his family were on the ark for a year. It takes a long time for the flood waters to cease, but eventually they do. And we see the faithfulness of God and God reaching his hand into the life of Noah who had put his faith in God to do so. Next, we're told that Noah tests the ground to see that it is dry. Pick up with me in verse six. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark and he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro under the water. "'Waters were dried up from the earth. "'Then he sent forth a dove from him "'to see the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. "'But the dove found no place to set her foot, "'and she returned to him in the ark, "'for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. "'So he put out his hand and took her "'and brought her into the ark with him. "'He waited another seven days, "'and again he sent forth uh, the, the dove out of the ark, "'and the dove came back to him in the evening, "'and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf.'" So Noah knew that the water had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove, and she did not return to him anymore. Up until this point in the story, all Noah was required to do was to be obedient. The Lord had revealed to Noah that the flood water was coming, and Noah believed him. The Lord revealed to Noah how he was to build the ark, and Noah believed him. The Lord revealed how Noah was to stock the ark with animals and supplies, and Noah believed him. The Lord told Noah when to board the ark, and Noah believed him. But since the Lord shut Noah and his family into the ark before the floodwaters began, God has not spoken to Noah again in this story. Since sealing the door, the Lord has been quiet. It is now time for Noah to put his faith into practice. And so Noah believes that God will rescue them, and he begins to look for dry land. He first lets a raven out of the the boat, out of the ark, because ravens are scavenger creatures who would be able to find uh, dead animals on the tops of the mountains, and the raven does so and does not return. Three times he releases a dove, one time. The dove goes and comes back. Another, he co- goes and returns with an olive branch. The last, the, the dove goes. These are valley dwellers. This was telling Noah that the, the bottoms of the valleys had dried once the dove no longer returns. Then we see Noah, who in this story becomes a new Adam for us, inhabits this cleansed earth starting again in verse 13 in the 601st year in the first month the first day of the month the waters were dried from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold the face of the ground was dry and the second month on the 27th day of the month the earth had dried out then God said to Noah go out from the ark you and your wife and your sons and your wives with you bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth That they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So, what we see here in Genesis 8 is similar to what we saw in the story of the first man and woman on the earth. As we saw last week in Genesis 7, Noah represents Adam for us in that he cares for animal kind, just as Adam and Eve were instructed to do so in the garden that God called good and had given them dominion over to care for that creation. And it was Noah's responsibility to care for those animals on the ark, and now Noah and his family and those animals with him are able to inhabit the new earth. Noah. Noah. Represents for us a new beginning for mankind. As Adam and Eve were the first peoples that God had created, Noah and his family will now also repopulate the earth. Noah will now represent mankind being that which God had saved from his judgment and placed on the earth that God is now making new with those that he saved on the ark. And we see this as a new beginning for mankind. And so Noah and those with him on the ark come down into the dry land, and we see the very first thing Noah does is that he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah's first act on dry land is to worship God. God. The very first thing that he does is make a sacrifice. This is the first place in the Scriptures that we see an altar being built. It's not the first sacrifice that we see, but it is the first mention of an altar. This isn't to say that Noah didn't worship God before the ark and is now choosing to do so here, but it is important to note that this is the first thing that he does. In a sense, Noah consecrates this new world that he and the inhabitants of the ark will take possession of. Noah's first act was to praise God. And the Lord responds with favor to Noah's sacrifice. Look at the last verses here. It tells us that when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seen time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. It's interesting that this chapter begins uh, with God being described in a way that's, that's very human, right? That he remembers Noah, And it's not to say that God, as we've said, remembered Noah in a way that we would remember something, that we've set it aside and, oh yeah, I remember where I put my keys or I put my cell phone. God didn't remember Noah in that way. And this this passage ends with God doing something else that humans do, and that is to smell something. Oftentimes here, we'll walk out in our parking lot and uh, it would have been helpful if they would have done it and we could have could have smelled it today, but more often than not, when I walk in the parking lot to leave, uh, to leave work, I smell something. Do you know what I smell? Burger King, right? Because there's always smoke rising out of that Burger King. They're always, I don't know, maybe it's fake, maybe it's just something they put in the air so people will smell it. But we're, we're used to smelling things, and, and smells make us think of things, and they make us remember things, and they make us feel certain ways. And so what we have here is God being described in a human term so that we can understand it. It's not like Noah built this altar and sacrificed this animal and somehow that smoke rose up out of that altar all the way into heaven and God smelled it with his nostrils. No, it's just he's, something's being described to us here so we can understand it in human terms. Read it like this. Noah's actions please God. That by faith Noah was obedient obedient in this story from beginning to end. That Noah obeyed God when God Noah believed God when God said a flood would come, and Noah obeyed God when he said, Build the ark and enter it. And now Noah exits the ark and makes sacrifice to God. And the Lord responds to Noah's sacrifice with favor. The sacrifice that Noah offers to God pleases God and God looks upon that sacrifice and it stills his wrath against sinful man. And the Lord makes a promise here. Now next week we are going to, in chapter nine, consider the fuller account of the covenant that God makes with Noah. So I'm only going to deal with it briefly here this morning. But what we see is God make a promise to Noah that he will never again curse the ground because of man. We see the grace of God here in this story in that because Noah was faithful to God, God stills his wrath. And he says, never again will I strike down every living creature as I have done here. And then that verse 22 says, the earth will remain sea time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. They shall not cease. That that what we're seeing is God is saying life will go on. God will not judge the physical world in the same manner that he did here with Noah ever again. We'll see more about that promise and the sign of that promise in chapter nine next week. But know this from this text. We deserve that wrath of God. Notice what He says, For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. We're told in no uncertain terms that man deserves the wrath of God, and yet God chooses to offer grace and mercy towards us. Everyone who has lived since Noah, this verse has been true for. Everyone sitting here in this field today, this verse is true for. The intentions of our heart is on evil, even from our youth. And yet God allows us in his grace to remain. And the sacrifice of Noah pleases God and God relents his wrath and is no longer seeking to destroy the world. But know this, this is but a temporary reprieve. The relief that God offers mankind from his wrath is but temporary because a fuller judgment is coming. But there is good news for us today. Just as we saw Noah replaces, in a way, Adam for us, that he becomes a new Adam, one would eventually come upon the scene who would become a new Noah. His name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the new and better Noah, forever satisfied the wrath of God for all who have faith in him. Noah's sacrifice temporarily satisfied the wrath of God in such a way that God will no longer destroy the earth in that same manner. But Jesus' sacrifice is far greater than Noah. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. Jesus sacrificed himself to fully satisfy the wrath of God for all eternity. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Genesis 8 tells us that Noah took one of the clean animals off the ark and sacrificed it to God and that sacrifice pleases God. But when Jesus comes, the New Testament tells us that it's not an animal that he sacrificed, but that it was his very self. The son of God died in our place fully pleasing God for all eternity, making that sacrifice once for all. In Hebrews 9, 26, we read, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The sacrifices that we've already seen made here in our study of Genesis and Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and Genesis 8 and those that will happen after this in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament go on and on till Jesus, but none of them were perfect sacrifices. None of them were sacrifices that would apply to everyone who would believe for all time into eternity. But now that Jesus has died in our place, no more sacrifice will ever be needed because the perfect sacrifice has been made. Remember how this account began. When all seemed lost, at the very darkest moment, as that ark had been adrift for five months and everything on the face of the earth had perished, God remembered Noah. And here's what the scripture tells us at just the right time, God remembered us. And in remembering us, he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. God remembered you, my friend. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, know this, God remembered you. And God sent Jesus to die in your place that if you would put your faith and hope in him, he would rescue you just like he rescued Noah. That while everything else suffered the judgment of God in Noah's day, Noah and his family were saved. And by the sacrifice of Jesus, here is what is offered to you today. That if you will put your faith and hope in Jesus when all else seems lost in the very darkest moment, God will remember you. God will reach into your heart and take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. God will look upon you in darkness and bring light into your life. God will take that which is dead and make it alive if you will do only what Noah did. Not live a righteous life. Not, not keep a list of do's and don'ts and, and make sure that you have more do's that you do than, than the don'ts that you don't do. No, all that's expected is what was expected of Noah, faith. Noah believed God, and because he believed God, he was righteous before God. And you too can believe God this morning. If we will just have faith in him that Jesus is that one perfect sacrifice for us, then God will do what only God can do and still his wrath towards you. Because while God will never destroy the world in the same way that he did in Noah's day, another destruction is coming. We saw this last week in the previous chapter that 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 judgment that they experienced in ancient days is a forerunner of another judgment that is coming upon the earth. But hope remains. God remembers us and offers salvation to those who believe and come to him in faith. So will you do that today? Recognizing that no more sacrifice is required because Jesus has made the perfect one in your place. If you'll only believe, turn from yourself today and turn towards him. For the many here gathered who have done this, here's here's what should be birthed in our hearts, this great joy in knowing this, that God is not going to leave us in this sinful world forever just as he didn't leave Noah in that ark forever, God will one day return for us. We don't know if that day is today or tomorrow or another millennia or two or even longer away, but know this, God will be faithful. God will remember his people. And just as God remembered Noah in that ark that day, God is going to remember those whom he has redeemed, who he has sealed, who he has saved, just as he did in that day. And so here's what we celebrate, that we have embraced that one sacrifice for all and we are now secure in the ark of God together, awaiting the assurance of our salvation at his return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you remember us, that you know us by name, that you love us, And Father, I pray for the one maybe seated here in this grass or watching with us online right now who who would say, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've always tried to do it my own way. God, would they come to you in faith, we pray. Would they believe now as Noah did, trusting you for their salvation. For the many, God, we stand here in this moment to sing recognizing that if we are in faith in Christ, we are no no longer under the wrath of God, that we have nothing to fear, that there is no judgment coming upon us because Jesus died in our place so that we may have life fully satisfying God's wrath to never be poured out on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.